Welcome to Keep Them Coming with Open the Doors Coaching. I'm your host, Kristen Thomas. I'm a relationship, dating, and sex coach based in Kansas City who just loves to talk to people about what goes on in their sex lives and relationships. Be warned, you should be 18 and over and probably be listening with your headphones. Thanks for tuning in. Jari Basgal is a licensed clinical professional counselor and a trauma-informed yoga teacher. Jari offers an integrative approach to therapy. That means she incorporates lots of methods supported by neuroscience, including EMDR, somatic experiencing, yoga, acceptance and commitment therapy, inner child healing, and mindfulness. She has over seven years' experience helping individuals who have been impacted by trauma, anxiety, and depression. And we broke down a lot of different ways that people experience trauma and what she can really help people with. Her primary intention is to provide a safe space where individuals feel seen, heard, and supported through their journey of healing and growth. Topics on our episode include understanding what somatic therapy is, ways trauma stays in our body and methods to unleash it, why women disconnect during sex, transgenerational trauma, how perfectionism can manifest in procrastination, and overcoming bad sex advice. Dree also did a great job highlighting who in the medical field could really benefit from trauma-informed training. She's out there doing her part just like I am to help people heal and live their very best sex lives. I think I've got a few listeners out there who could really benefit from hearing more from her and what she does. So I hope you find this information beneficial and and I'll have her contact info in my show notes. Please reach out if you feel like you need some help in your healing journey. My guest today is someone that I was introduced to through a mutual friend, and once we connected by email, we realized that we should probably meet up because we definitely have a lot in common. Uh, so my guest today is Jerry Basgal. Hi, Jerry. Hi, Kristen. Thanks so much for having me on today, and thank you for everyone who's listening and joining in. I'm really glad that you're here today. I'm glad to so, be here. Well, tell my listeners a little bit about what you do. So I am a licensed clinical professional counselor and a trauma-informed yoga teacher. And I provide something that's called somatic therapy, which is different than traditional talk therapy. So with traditional talk therapy, it can be extremely helpful and beneficial, but typically it only takes people so far because of how trauma and stress get stored in the brain and the body. Mm. And often individuals too, um, many individuals, really don't want to have to relive and retell the details of their most upsetting, most traumatic, most horrific experiences, and that can actually be Mm re-traumatizing. And in fact, that's actually not a prerequisite for healing. You don't have to talk about it. So in Mm -hmm. somatic therapy, what we do is we really work with the body's innate wisdom and um, utilize the body's natural healing mechanisms. So we try to restore balance in the nervous system and Um, We also release trauma and stress that's been held in the body for a long time. Mm -hmm. And by doing that, individuals are able to, you know, get out of that stuckness they've been feeling. They're able to create change they've been wanting to um, make in their lives. And often when um, individuals have experienced trauma and stress, it disrupts the autonomic nervous system. And when the nervous system is out of balance, when it's dysregulated or disrupted, What often shows up in people's lives is fatigue or low energy, low motivation, 
um, pain. So that could be chronic pain, tension, headaches, GI issues, you know, neck pain, also anxiety and panic and depression. So we're a little bit of everything. Exactly. Mm -hmm. When the nervous system is out of balance, it throws everything off. So we're working with directly with the nervous system and the body in order to release the trauma, the stress, that anxiety that's been accumulated and held there. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot. It is a lot. (laughs) A lot. You know, the the very beginning, something that you talked about was that people don't have to talk about or relive their trauma in order to get over it. And something that's very popular right now that a lot of people talk about, and I've had people seek treatment with this form of treatment is EMDR, Mm -hmm. which really is about talking about that event, reliving that event, and then reprocessing it, which some people have said it works and some people have said that it doesn't. Mm -hmm. So... Are you often getting people who have tried EMDR or people who are just afraid of reliving it? Like, where do people kind of come in contact with you? Yeah, both, Mm -hmm. both. So individuals will come who've had, you know, not the greatest experiences with past therapists. They felt it was re-traumatizing. And I think EMDR can be helpful. It just needs to be done in a way that's Mm trauma-informed. The therapist who is using EMDR needs to make sure that they're helping the individual stay in the present versus reliving the past, Mm. which can be done. Um, You just have to use certain methods in order to help the individual stay grounded and present. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. for, for me and my background, I understood a lot of what you talked about with your mm-hmm. intro, but there's a lot to break down for people who yes. have maybe never been to a therapist before. Mm-hmm. Um, some people worry, I mean, I've had this from people that express this concern about mm-hmm. therapy, that they feel like their problems are so deep and so pervasive at this point, and that they've tried other therapists and not had success. Yeah. So how do you kind of reach those people to help them see, like, maybe there's a different approach approach mm-hmm. and maybe that somatic therapy specifically is something that could be more beneficial than mm-hmm. just straight up talk therapy right and I think that's important because one thing that I say often is everyone heals differently we are all um, different human beings and we need different therapists and different meth- methods so it's therapy is not a one-size-fits-all and I encourage people who haven't found the right fit for them or felt discouraged or frustrated with previous experiences to keep searching because there is um, different approaches to try out. You know, myself personally, I tried um, different therapists and it took me a while to find a therapist who I felt like truly understood my experiences and was trauma-informed and could offer the the treatments that worked for me. Um, So what I would encourage people to do is continue to search and know that because of how trauma and stress is stored in the brain, that when we talk about it, it's really not getting to the source, the root of the problem. Okay. Yeah. So if we incorporate the body, and that could simply look like when you bring up this topic, what do you notice in your body? What Mm -hmm. sensations are coming up? Can you describe that? And just really being curious about how that's being held in their body, that's a way that we can work with the nervous system. Gotcha. Makes a big difference. And it's something where, as humans, we're disconnected from, you know, Mm -hmm. our neck down. Often we can um, have a cognitive conversation about something, and we're totally disconnected from what's happening in our body. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. When you watch someone squirm in their chair, their shoulders rise up to their ears, or they, you know, slink down and try to make themselves small. Exactly. You know, you and I notice things like that, but a lot of people are not cognizant of what their body's doing when they're either 
talking about something that's challenging or difficult or hurtful or dramatic. Right. And that's some of the things we're doing in sessions, just, you know, with um, a lot of gentleness and openness being like, hey, did you notice when your shoulders lifted up to your ears? Or do you notice your foot moving now? Um, do you notice how you're shrinking down just to bring that awareness? Because often people aren't noticing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we have to shift those patterns. These different patterns get held in our body, and then we repeat them over and over. And if it's done unconsciously, it's really hard to change. So we want to bring the unconscious to the conscious. Yeah. So, I mean, of course, every patient, every client, however you call them, do you call them patients, clients? It's interchangeable. Everyone's different, yeah. Yeah. When does a typical, I mean, there's nothing typical, but what does a journey kind of Uh look like? Like, um... Do you, is there? Are you just making them more aware of their body, or do you touch them? Is it sort of any sort of physical techniques mm-hmm. involved with your treatment? So first of all, I, I don't I don't use touch. There okay. are somatic therapists who do use touch, mm-hmm. so it's just kind of preference. Mm-hmm. You know, one day I would like to incorporate touch. Right now, I'm not trained in that. Mm-hmm. So how the journey looks? First of all, the number one thing for me is safety. I want um, the space to be very safe and empowering, um, a place where individuals feel seen and feel heard and feel like they can be their true authentic selves and be vulnerable. So those first sessions are just getting to know one another, establishing that rapport, um, allowing the individuals to ask any questions that they have, and really providing that information about the different trauma treatments and what resonates with them, what they think would be most helpful for them. And then after that, we kind of explore how trauma is held in their body. We look at how trauma and stress, the patterns of trauma and stress in their body and bring that awareness. And also explore um, with curiosity the different sensations that are associated with different emotions. So a lot of times people are able to say, I feel sad, I feel angry, I feel scared. Okay, but where do you notice those feelings of fear? Mm-hmm. How can you, can you describe that? Is there a color? Is there a shape? And when we're able to do that, It tends to, first of all, we get more familiar with the feeling. We have more confidence of being with those sensations, um, and it doesn't feel quite as overwhelming or scary. So we get to explore those different sensations. And then um, there's something that we do called tracking. We begin to track those sensations moment by moment. So let's say an individual notices um, some tension in the neck. I'll invite them to, if it feels manageable, to stay with that sensation and see what happens next. Because our sensations are constantly shifting and changing. Mm-hmm. If we allow them to move, they'll shift. It's when we try to numb them or push them away or avoid them that they get stuck in our body. Mm-hmm. And then throughout this process, we are continuing to develop you know, those internal resources to help us sit with those emotions and to help us release the trauma that's become stuck in our body. So that's just a little bit about it. Yeah. Is there any sort of specific trauma that you focus on, or is it just in general helping people when they're feeling like this thing, this event, my past, whatever's mm-hmm. being held in my body and preventing me from moving forward? Mm-hmm. So I work with all kinds of trauma, and I think as humans, we've all experienced trauma, and I um, definitely let the patient, the client I'm working with, take lead on that wherever they want to start. Mm-hmm. We'll start there. And it's all related. We can we can see how it's all connected. Yeah. So wherever we start, it'll probably end up touching other emotional injuries, other traumas that have been held in the body. Yeah. None of us have just one or two no. things that have happened in our lives that have caused trauma. No. And the one thing I will say is I feel like, it, at least in my perception, is in the last decade, we've moved from this attitude of like, oh, well, everyone has things that happen in their life. You just got to deal with it to everyone's had trauma. We need to be understanding of it mm-hmm. and help each other move forward. 
Yes. Do you feel like you've noticed that, that shift too? Yes, which is great. I think, you know, I've heard more um, individuals talking about their experiences of trauma, being willing to be vulnerable and share it, whether it's with their therapist, whether it's with close friends or even publicly. And whenever we keep something secret or whenever we keep something to ourselves, it creates shame. Mm -hmm. So a lot of us can relate to these traumatic experiences or these emotional injuries that we've kept to ourselves. And then the more um, we keep it a secret, the more it makes us feel like that shame that there's something wrong with me. Mm -hmm. I'm crazy. I'm weak. I'm I'm messed up. I'm broken. I'm alone. Right. Mm -hmm. So when we can say it out loud, we recognize we're not the only people experiencing this. We're not alone. There's other humans who can relate to what we're feeling. Yeah. That helps heal the shame. Yeah. And I, I think to people, thinking my dad specifically, mm-hmm. you know, people who have been through a lot in their lives who, who kind of do have that attitude of, to others of that, like kind of get over it sort of attitude. Like yes. I've had things happen. Everyone's had things happen to them. And I worry, I wonder about how to really get through to those people to help them understand that just because other people have been through worse and, mm-hmm. or you've been through worse than someone like the level of trauma or the amount of trauma, the number of things you've had happen in your life, it's this isn't a competition. Exactly. We're not trying to compare our wounds or scars. I just, I worry, like, does, does my dad's generation have to just die off before <sighs> we have an entire world of people who are actually, like, compassionate and understanding? Mm-hmm. Or are we going to be able to break those people down and help them... I'm just thinking about like boomers and stuff. People right. who are a little less open to this. How do we break those people's walls down to help them yeah. see that there's a different way? Mm-hmm. And that's something I hear a lot is the comparison. Well, other people have it worse. And whenever we deny our own pain or minimize it, it's just going to create more pain. So for me, one of the things that I think that we can do is to model that behavior. Model in ourselves doing our own work. You know, going and seeking out help, whether that's with, you know, energy worker, a therapist, a doctor, whoever that is. And so the more that we can heal and um, release the trauma and become our authentic self, hopefully those other people are watching and see that healing is possible. Mm -hmm. Why not give it a try? You know, what's, when you think about what, what's the worst thing that could happen? I go and it doesn't work. Okay. Then I'm in the exact same place that I am now. But what if I go and I feel better? Valid the risk. Point. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely valid. Absolutely valid. I mean, it's ish. I shouldn't just say it's people like my, my parents' generation. Mm-hmm. I definitely have clients or friends who mm-hmm. say that their partner, you know, won't go to therapy or won't go to coaching or just won't talk about things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know that there's a lot of people out there who are still in our generation mm-hmm. that we're trying to help, help them see that there's a better way, that it's not about locking all that stuff away deep and tight because it's not really being locked away right. it comes out every single day manifests every day in exactly. certain ways especially towards your partner towards right. your family towards your kids right and you know i can relate because i think this is why it's important to spread awareness about what trauma is i didn't realize that the things that i had experienced in my early life were considered trauma mm-hmm. i was one of those people who definitely minimized Um, my experience, who I thought I had the perfect childhood and that everything was fine. Everything was fine. I was fine. Um, So it wasn't until I started to really 
turn inward and explore what was going on and why I kept getting in these patterns and that actually what I did experience was trauma, that I was able to do the healing um, that really needed to be done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So again, for me, um, I think a big part of that too was not wanting to be labeled a victim. Mm-hmm. That felt really scary to me. And by doing that then, I was, again, letting all those unconscious patterns take charge of my life instead of me being in charge of my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, removing that word victim yes. is, um, it'd be hard. Mm-hmm. I went through a couple of things that, you know, Retrospect in childhood, my childhood was fairly easy. Like a move or mm-hmm. two was really the only major thing. Had very little death and things like that. But um, had an experience at seventeen that mm-hmm. was um, gun violence at work. Mm-hmm. Had another one of those a couple of years ago, um, and it really wasn't until that experience two years ago that I recognized how much trauma is actually held in your body. That the movement that I made when I heard that gunshot and then started seeing people run, that noise came from over my left shoulder. So every time I hear something over my left shoulder and I you know, cringe down because my body made that movement, yes. my mind goes right back there. Exactly. Yeah, it's all connected. And you'll see that, like we said before, you'll see that in people's, their posture, again, shrinking down, making themselves small. You'll see it in eye contact, avoiding eye contact, or in just those um, habitual patterns of, I work with a client right now, anytime she hears a sound, there's that hypervigilance, so putting her Mm -hmm. hands up to protect her, there's that jumpiness. And again, a lot of times we're not even aware that this is happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I had the hypervigilance happen Mm -hmm. a few times when I was with friends. Mm -hmm. And uh, I didn't realize what I was doing, but I was looking around making sure I was safe, and make sure we were all safe, really. I was looking for someone running or fast movements, anything like that, or someone yelling, and a couple times had friends be like, hey, I'm going to pull you back in. Are you okay there? Uh, they knew what I was, was going through. Um, one, because he and I had had the conversation of, like, I've noticed I'm doing this, pull me uh-huh. out of it when it happens, but the other one, he was actually a combat veteran, mm-hmm. so he'd seen it in other people, and mm-hmm. just very politely was like, hey, you doing okay there? And then I was like, oh, sorry, I didn't. <laughs> Uh, I didn't recognize what I was doing there for a second. He's like, it's all right. I, I noticed Jen and I just wanted to pull you back in. Yes. I'm like, thank you. I appreciate that. And that's huge in the healing process is again, coming back to the present moment mm-hmm. and then like, being to explore how the past showed up in the present. And, you know, one of the biggest things that we often experience with trauma is that we don't feel safe in our bodies anymore. There's not this internal sense of safety. And, you know, why I think somatic therapy is so helpful is for most individuals, we can logically know something and yet we feel so different in the body. I can logically know that I'm safe and yet I feel that I'm not safe. I can logically know that I can trust this person and yet I feel like I can't. Mm-hmm. And that happens over and over again. And we can try to talk ourselves out of that and usually it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have to work with that felt sense that's mm-hmm. held in the body. Yeah. So Obviously, when you start school and stuff, you're not really sure what you're going to do with your life. And maybe even when you got done with, um, you know, getting is your degree in psychology and then you went off your master's. Yes. So, so what, what made you want to take this route? What made you pick this as your focus? What was yeah. that journey kind of like? I think a lot of divine intervention. <laughs> um, I, so I got my master's degree in counseling psychology. And then I was really fortunate to be placed at this amazing intern site, um, MOXA, the Metropolitan Organization to Counter Sexual Assault. So Mm -hmm. it's our 
um, local rape crisis center here in Kansas City. And during that internship, I fell in love and became really passionate about helping people heal from trauma. And from that day, I knew that I wanted to continue that trauma work, which is why I continued to get, you know, seek out different trauma treatments. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was at Moxa for about you know, five years or so. And then I decided to take the leap and go into private practice just to be able to take care of myself more mm-hmm. during that journey as well. And yeah. um, so I could better provide for um, the individuals I was sitting with. But I think a lot of it had to do too. Um, Again, I had my own traumatic experiences that I was trying to heal from. My brother and my sister were adopted, and I saw how that impacted them. Mm -hmm. Um, So there was definitely that part of me that wanted to always help individuals and to create a better place and to stop this transgenerational trauma and also to figure out myself, too, to continue (laughs) discovering and exploring myself and um, finding different ways to heal and become the best version of me. Yeah. Yeah. That's often what we do is we're, it's a little bit of helping others, but because we're helping ourselves too, yes. um, there's not many therapists or coaches out there that I've run into that haven't said part of this journey of helping others heal helps me heal, um, or what I've been through and what I've healed. Like now that I've been through this experience, I want to get out there and teach people what I wish I had been taught. Yeah. Or I wish I had been shown. Exactly. And honestly, I I don't want to work with a therapist who can't relate to any experiences of hardship. Right. Who haven't had to overcome any obstacles. And I don't want to work with a therapist personally that hasn't done their own work, that hasn't seen oh, yeah. their own oh, therapist. Oh, yeah. Which there's a lot of. I'm finding that out. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Brene Brown talks about seeing her therapist who's a therapist for therapists. Yes. That would be a very interesting <laughs> focus to have as your, your practice, but much needed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I have also talked to people who have said that they feel like their therapist has not done the work. Yes. Yeah. And then that's not a service to the people they're meeting with. No. Um, I, not. I often, I work with other therapists. I see that often. And, um, I'm very transparent that I also work with a therapist and I think that's necessary, whether it's just even to do the work Whenever you're in a helping profession, you experience vicarious trauma. Oh, absolutely. You're sitting with that trauma. That has an impact on you. And if you're denying that, yeah, yeah you take that right. home. Exactly. So yeah. even if it's just to work through that, but again, I think as humans, we've all experienced emotional injuries and traumas and hardships that in order to um, continue to grow and to continue to be the best versions of ourselves, it's important that we do that work. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I think that you and I are on the same plane when we talk about like energy, yes. you know, and that, that energy, that sadness, whatever that emotion is that, mm-hmm. that client's unleashing, it's got to go somewhere, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and we do take a little bit of that home. Um, we wouldn't be the empathetic souls that we are if it weren't for us having that in us to where like, we're thinking about them at night. We're thinking about them the next day. We wonder about how they're doing in between their sessions. Yeah. Um, you know, if we could do it, we'd probably be their new best friend where we call them every day and text them and check, check in on them, make sure they're all right. But, you know, we, we can't do that. So right. I don't think that people out there really recognize how much the right therapist or counselor mm-hmm. really has to be that person who energetically understands that transference, who also understands they've got to take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. Who, Because to me, any therapist that can just shut it off as soon as they're done with that client I just I don't get them right and I've been to a couple of those 
I've been to a couple that, you know, if I didn't show up, they didn't call. Mm-hmm. They didn't check in on me. They didn't mm-hmm. go, hey, you missed your appointment, and this is really important, and I want to see you in here so we can keep this work going. Right. And that's why I think that, you know, that self-exploration, the therapist doing their own work, is so important to understand, okay, how am I um, taking this home with me? How mm-hmm. are sessions impacting me? For me, myself, I've had to do so much work on energetic boundaries because I do identify as an empath. I absorb that. I soak it in. And, you know, in the early years, I was going home completely exhausted and drained. Mm-hmm. That's really when I started to get into my, my yoga practice as a way of releasing some of that. And now I have little rituals that I do in between sessions, whether it's just going to the bathroom and washing my hands, stepping outside, taking some deep breaths. That way I can um, show up for the next person because we do take that on. And speaking of that, that made me think of just a recent session. Like I love talking to people about being an empath and being a highly sensitive person because mm-hmm. not many people that I work with have heard those terms before. Right. And it impacts us. I just had an individual that I worked with who told me that a previous therapist she met with had diagnosed her with Asperger's um, because she tend to be just more introverted and shy around individuals, that she tend to have um, some big feelings. I'm like, that did, no, that, that means you're an empath. That means that you're, you know, you're a person who feels other people's feelings. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's a gift. We just have to learn how to um, manage that so it doesn't yeah. completely drain and exhaust us. Uh, I know. I hear about those a lot, these diagnoses that people give just for, you know, these are normal responses to whether it's trauma or just being human or different traits and personalities and people are diagnosing it and mm -hmm. um, pathologizing it. And obviously as a coach, that's the last thing that, I I mean, I don't do that. Mm -hmm. Um, my, My job is not to tell people what they have wrong with them and put a name to it. My job is to simply say, these are your scenarios, these are your situations and your emotions mm-hmm. that we're going to process and work through. Um, but yeah, like where someone will say, you know, that person might have a sex addiction. I just will say like, well, they're compulsive with some of their sexual behaviors and they're not being very considerate of other people around mm-hmm. them. That doesn't equal a sex addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yeah, there's definitely medical things that mm-hmm. go on with people's sex lives, but I'm not talking about the actual medical stuff, things like vaginismus or vulvodynia or things like that, you know. Yeah, there's just a lot of people out there who are trying to say, like, here's your label. Here's how we're going to treat that label. Yeah. Rather than say, you're an empath or you're just sensitive to emotions. Exactly. Or you've had some trauma and you're not processing it well. Yeah. There could be all sorts of things going on with that person. But, yeah, there's so much trying to put the medical label on it because then there's a treatment. Yes. Then there's medication. Exactly. And Mm -hmm. it has a lasting impact. That gets associated. People then start to identify with that. Mm -hmm. And that's why I don't work with um, insurances, so I don't have to diagnose. Ah. I mm -hmm. don't, um, you know. Because you got to code everything, right? Exactly. You got to say, like, well, here's what's wrong with this person, and here's why they're coming to me. Right. Rather than something as simple as, they're having a hard time dealing with life right now. Right. They have had 20 years of traumatic experiences that they can't get past. Mm Mm-hmm. Hmm. Exactly. Which is why I don't work with them because they also then try to dictate what treatments you use, which mm-hmm. often aren't the best treatments for individual. They're just the treatments that have the most money behind them, uh-huh. yeah. um, which gets super frustrating because I, I want to make these services more accessible to individuals. And unfortunately, um, insurance just hasn't gotten bored with that. Yeah. Well, we could have a whole other conversation. <laughs> exactly. About yeah, I won't even companies. go there. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's kind of why I chose coaching because uh-huh. I didn't want to. 
I, I mean, I do want to eventually get my master's, mm-hmm. but even then, I'll, and PhD even, but even then, I think I'll still stay in a, a coaching practice because mm-hmm. I don't want to deal with insurance companies. Yeah. What I do can be so open-ended mm-hmm. that I don't need somebody else telling me how I'm supposed to work with a client or help them move forward. Yeah, because they kind of dehumanize the project or the, the process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's I'm such an individualizer. Mm-hmm. It's one of my top strengths. Everyone is different. Right. So, Yeah. To, to put a label on something or, you know, look, here's the blanket treatment. This right. works for 80% of the population. It's completely ridiculous. It is. It is. <laughs> so we got some freedom uh-huh. in what we do. Exactly. Which I love. Yeah. Because then it can be this more organic, intuitive work. And, again, you have to individualize the treatment for each person. If It's ridiculous to think that one treatment could be effective for every single person. We're so complicated. We're so different. Um, So we need an integrative approach. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We need to talk. We need to be talking um, about all the different areas of wellness and well-being. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree Mm -hmm. wholeheartedly. There's rarely a consultation or or at least a a client, I should say, that through the process, we aren't talking about how are you taking care of yourself? Mm -hmm. What's your diet? What's your exercise like? How much sex are you having? Right. Have you had some trauma that you've not dealt with? We, we kind of, I try to look at all aspects. How's your family life? How's your mm-hmm. job? Because um, it, it is all so integrated that even if I'm just helping with one area, I may need to refer them out and say, you really need to go talk to this financial advisor or this somatic therapist or, you know, your teenager needs some support. Go, you know, help them find some, some help too. Mm-hmm. But that integrated approach... In fact, one of my one of my favorite clients um, was having some issues with vaginismus, uh-huh. so she was saying my me, her OB, and a pelvic floor therapist, because mm-hmm. she knew she really needed to have all of them. She tried one at a time and it didn't work. Mm-hmm. And then once she started integrating all three at the same time, she got the results she was needing. Yes, there's no more painful intercourse. Again, and that that integrative approach, and you know, um, when you said vaginismus, it just made me think too of. I have worked with so many individuals. You know, I work a lot with individuals who've experienced sexual trauma. And Mm -hmm. with sexual trauma, that impacts our relationship with our sexual health, with our sexuality. Mm -hmm. And because our culture has created such shame around the conversation of sex and um, sexual health, individuals often feel like they don't have a place to talk about that Mm -hmm. and to go and ask those questions. I work with a lot of individuals who have avoided seeing their gynecologist for years and are having symptoms, whether it's you know, painful sex, whether it's disconnecting during sex or no longer um, wanting to have sex, no longer enjoying it, whatever it is. And they've had these traumatizing experiences with medical professionals. I had, um, I've heard stories from different patients that have told me their gynecologist when they went in seeking help for pain during sex, their gynecologist told them to drink more wine before sex or to get on an antidepressant or to just use more lubricant, mm-hmm. which is, you know, it's awful. We're, it's a disservice to Right, well, it's offering solutions without finding out what's the exactly. cause. Like, okay, you're having painful intercourse. When did it start? What's gone on? Have you talked to anybody about this? Yeah. You know? Yeah. That, yeah, sexual health in the OB's office. I have a wonderful OB. Mm-hmm. I love her to death. And she is one that, since I have seen her, has asked about, like, how's your sexual health doing? How's your sexual satisfaction? 
like she wasn't just in there to ask me like what my periods had been like mm-hmm. and all that. She really wanted to find out like how I was doing. I didn't realize that wasn't really the norm. Yeah, unfortunately not. And I, you know, not only there are there's so many great medical providers, and then there's individuals who could just be a little bit more trauma informed. Yeah. Whether that's a dentist, a chiropractor, um, an OBGYN, just we want individuals to be able to seek out those services to help themselves. And when people are avoiding for years um, going to see a doctor, you know, we're failing mm-hmm. them. We're doing yeah. something wrong. And there's just there's small changes that medical providers could um, make in order to make their, their office more trauma-informed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, how, how does... How does that happen, though? Is it someone like yourself who's going out and doing, like, lunch and learns? I mean, don't they, do they have to choose to want to take an, a continuing education course and that stuff? I mean, how, how does, say, an OBGYN's office, which has multiple practitioners and nurses, how do you get an entire office to really focus on being trauma-informed in the way that they work with their patients? Mm-hmm. I definitely think extra training. You have to be willing to get that extra training and to make it a priority. You know, um, it may mean spending a little extra time with your patient, mm-hmm. taking things a bit slower, or if a patient isn't ready for the next step, um, I guess putting the power back into their hands, not making those choices for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that I hope to do one day is to provide workshops or training to medical providers about ways that they can help an individual feel more safe in their office. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that would be a much needed service. Yes, I definitely want to. And um, because we all want to work together. Yeah. There's so much that I don't do. I have my small part that I do, and I need um, to be able to work with and collaborate collaborate with other helping professionals. So we I want us all to work together in order to be able to better serve people. Yes. Yes. Helping people with their sexual health is not just about one issue. There's so many facets to helping people get past Oh, all the stuff, mm-hmm. all the things. Like, right. A lot of us had the, the religiosity when we were brought up. Yes. We were brought up, even if it wasn't based in religion, we were brought up with shame about our sexuality or our sexual expression. Right. Um, or even our gender mm-hmm. and gender identity. Um, so there's a yes. lot of work to be done out there. Oh, I can relate to that. I was raised in a, you know, a Catholic household where I do not believe, I don't think anybody ever talked to me about you know, sex, sexual health, intercourse, anything like that throughout my childhood, my teenage years. It wasn't until I was an adult that I found a great group of friends who it felt safe and we were able to be vulnerable with one another where we were able to ask like, you know, those weird questions you feel that um, it feels kind of uncomfortable to ask anyone else. And we were able to talk about that and realize, oh, I'm not alone. This isn't just me. So, um, I wish that conversation would have started way earlier, and I'm thankful that I have this great group of friends where we can ask all those really weird questions that we haven't asked before. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. Invite me over sometime when you guys are hanging out. I'll be happy to help you guys out. It's good. It's a fun time. Yeah. And that's, you know, I try to create a space for all the individuals I meet with where they can talk to me about those things. And of course I encourage them also to, whether it's with their partner, their partner's a safe person or find some safe friends or a safe medical provider. Cause again, the more we're able to say these things out loud, that helps dissipate the shame that goes along with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So how do 
people find you? Mm-hmm. Is it through mostly referral? Are they kind of just Googling away, trying to you know find trauma treatment? Like, mm-hmm. how, do, how do patients and clients find you? They can find me. I have a website. You can book appointments online. You can email me, um, contact me through um, just phone. Um, a lot of my clients do come from referrals. It's always the best compliment when you have um, clients telling other their friends or their family members or other people they know, hey, go see this person. So mm-hmm. that always um, feels really um, rewarding. But yeah, reach out to me if you have any questions or if you're just wanting to know more about somatic therapy and what that looks like or what, what trauma is. Hey, I'm mm-hmm. experiencing this. Could this be trauma? Mm-hmm. Or is what I experience considered trauma? Let's have a conversation about it. And I think that's where it starts is having those conversations, bringing that awareness, and again, creating that safe space. So you make a valid point there is that sometimes people don't realize that what they're going through is based on trauma. So it's not like they'd be Googling away at like, you know, trauma counseling mm-hmm. or things like that. So yeah, mm. that happens a lot. That happens a lot where individuals come in and then we start to talk about it. Um, and I provide that awareness and they're like, oh, or about their childhood when we talk about a lot of individuals will come in and say, you know, I had a great childhood. My relationship with my parents was perfect. You know, everything was great. And then the more we get into it, they're like, oh, okay, maybe it wasn't what I thought. Mm-hmm. And that's hard. There's a lot hard. of grief that comes with that. A lot of um, grief that hey, I didn't experience the childhood that I needed. Mm-hmm. I didn't get that love or unconditional support or validation or um, my parents weren't emotionally available. Yeah. Yeah, I understand that journey. <laughs> my parents are wonderful. They really are. But there were things that came up as a child that yes. it was it was more about like the passed on traumas from yes. like things that my dad experienced. My mom was pretty good, but it was more on the dad side, more of the um, especially the the high expectations mm-hmm. and the not meeting high expectations yes. and things like that. But I now as an adult can look back and say okay he acted this way because of the shit that he went through exactly and while I have dealt with the generational trauma he's Mm -hmm. not so and that's a big piece I have I hear a lot of people tell me that they feel guilty talking about their parents because their their parents were great and they did do um you know they treated them with a lot of love and a lot of support and both can be true yeah I say the same thing about my parents my parents I know they were doing the very best that they could and in a lot of ways they were amazing parents and they also impacted me in somewhat of a negative way, too. Um, and it's important that we're able to acknowledge both. Yes, yeah. they're great parents, and there's ways that they hurt me. And that's that transi- transgenerational trauma. Until we acknowledge it, it's going to continue. Yeah. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying about that. It can be hard to process all that because of the things that come up. Of the, We tend to compartmentalize that if someone loves us, they can't hurt us, or they won't hurt us, they don't hurt us. Exactly. And that's not true. Right. People can love us tremendously and still hurt us even in a very small way that has a long-term impact. All the time. The little All cutting the remarks, you know, about the, yes. like, that makes you feel like you're inadequate or not good enough mm-hmm. or you're not strong enough or you're not, you know, going to make it on the team. Right. Those things. And yes, that doesn't even have to be by our parents. That can be our partners mm-hmm. or friends. It happens all the time. And when we're able to recognize that, and again, tune inward. How did that impact me? Where did yeah. I feel that? We're able to make you know, different choices as adults. Because as kids, a lot of times our only options are to freeze, Mm -hmm. to people please, to um, go into caregiving mode. There's all these different things that we have to do to survive as kids because the situation is 
it's too much. It's mm-hmm. too overwhelming. Um, but as adults, if we do this work, we can make more empowered choices. We can change that pattern. Yeah. yeah. It's hard when, um, you know, I talked to a lot of individuals about this, the things that often saved us in childhood, the things that helped us survive, can also, um, as adults, keep us from fully living and enjoying our life. Mm. Yeah. Things like freezing and... Exactly. Yeah. Perfectionism, people-pleasing, yeah, all of that. Perfectionism. (laughs) I've been been thinking about that a lot lately. Um, I I had an experience earlier this year that just really helped me get really more focused, Mm -hmm. um, especially on my content creation and just doing things. But it was because I read a really important article that was talking about perfectionism Uh and how procrastination is actually a major symptom of perfectionism. Yeah. We would rather wait or not do something rather than do it poorly, do it wrong, do it half-assed, whatever. And that was my big issue was, Mm -hmm. well, and also a little bit of like what Brene Brown talks about, the living small thing. Mm -hmm. So between the perfectionism and the fear of living a big life, I was preventing myself from actually doing something like doing this podcast, Mm -hmm. um, writing more, getting out there more, doing workshops more. Um, So that that monster that I fight every day is the perfectionist, not the procrastination. And now that I've been able to put a label on it and then also have those things of like, you know, perfection doesn't exist, which I've been telling myself and clients for years. Perfection does not exist, but I didn't realize how it was manifesting in my life. Mm -hmm. I can relate completely. I call myself a recovering perfectionist. Um, Brene Brown uses that term and she actually has a great book called The Gifts of Imperfection. Mm-hmm. And in there, you know, she talks about that fear that comes with perfectionism. Um, there's a term called life paralysis that mm-hmm. we um, become stuck or we procrastinate because of the fear of putting something out into the world that's not perfect. Perfect. We're afraid of making mistakes. We're afraid of taking that leap because um, people might judge us mm-hmm. or they might perceive us in a certain way. And you know, perfectionism, one thing that was huge for me to understand is perfectionism is different than um, striving to be our best. Mm-hmm. It's yes. different than self-improvement because it's all focused on how other people perceive us. Yeah. Whereas self-improvement is more, you know, self-focus of... The internal to... focus versus exactly. the external. Yeah. Yeah. My um, concept of perfectionism, I thought that in order to be, you know, worthy and valuable and deserving and lovable and all those things, I had to be perfect when you think about it, parents often, um, you know, they praise accomplishments of grades, sports, you know, manners, all those things. Um, and we, we need to do more of just praising a person for being them, their authentic self rather than their accomplishments because we're not our accomplishments. There's so much more to who we are. Yeah. <laughs> I was just thinking back about, like, I love my mom, but she used to be like, gosh, you're so weird, child. Rather than, like, embrace me just being, yes, yes. I'm weird. Yes. But man, now now I feel like weird is where's what we all are. We're awesome. all weird in our own way. Yeah, and I get along with people that are um, weird than I do. People that are just, you know normal or who did the normal things. Me in too. Life so far. Me so, too. Well, it's I exhausting. I like to live on the outside a little. Right. And wearing those masks, and pretending to be somebody we're not, it's exhausting. It's draining. It so that's the thing. People who are weird have learned to take their mask off. Exactly. They have learned to embrace authenticity mm-hmm. and to just be themselves. Mm-hmm. I agree. It's so refreshing. It's so yes. refreshing. It's like a huge weight that's been lifted. It's freedom. Yes. It's literally freedom. It really is. I mean, that's, I chose being a sex coach because I wanted people to be able to have freedom to live their lives. 
to me, as long as you are an adult and you consent to what you are doing and what's being done, all that stuff, do what you like. Mm -hmm. But so many people are afraid to tell their partners what they want. They're afraid to go to that group and talk about BDSM Mm -hmm. or talk about how they, I don't know, gosh, there's so many things out there. Right. Furries, swingers, voyeurism, exhibition, who cared? I don't care what you like. Just own it. Mm -hmm. Do it safely. Do it consensually. Yeah. So, you know, helping people kind of um, get to that point, though, can require them getting to a place where they're actually healthy, Mm -hmm. mentally, sexually, and they feel confident to Mm -hmm. do those things. Right. So someone like yourself might be that step for those people to to really take so they can unleash things and unleash in the past. Because I tell people... I, I am not here to help people who are really unhappy, really hurt, really angry. Like, you've definitely got to see a therapist, a counselor, or somebody first. Because I'm the forward-focused person. Mm-hmm. But the past, that's yeah. jury. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's important. We have to uncouple, especially if there's mm-hmm. been trauma. Uncouple, you know, s- sexuality or um, sexual health with the trauma because mm-hmm. a lot of individuals even when they think about if they've experienced this trauma when they think about having sex having intercourse or even being intimate with somebody kissing or getting close in a relationship they have this fear this feeling something bad's going to happen yeah right or it can be that experience where they get kissed in the same spot that just triggers that memory or yes. a sound or a smell or a noise smell especially exactly. it can be very triggering for your, your memories and things like that right um, but I, you know, you, I guess you see it in movies where people get triggered by something and then they just freak out, but they don't really talk about it. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got to get to that point where yes, you can have that moment where you're like panicking of what's going on, but you then got to take that next step and, and ask someone to help you right. figure out what's going on. Right. Because it doesn't have to always be that way. I, no, I work doesn't. with a lot of individuals who they will, they'll again, disconnect during, um, sex or they'll, have a flashback during mm-hmm. or they'll feel really unsafe and it doesn't always have to be that way but again if we're not willing to take the next step or have those conversations we get stuck we yeah. get stuck in those patterns yeah but healing's possible it is yeah i've seen it that's why i love my job people always ask me how do you do your job like because i get to see people get better i get to see yeah. people heal there's when they come out on the other end yes right yeah exactly yeah. I am curious about one thing because mm-hmm. it's something that got brought up recently. So say a woman has experienced a um, traumatic birth. Mm-hmm. Is that something that you help women with? Oh, yeah. That's trauma. That's mm-hmm. trauma. Whether a woman has had a traumatic birth or if as an adult you know that you had a tra- um, when you were a child there was some kind of traumatic birth. Uh, um, and even pregnancy, that's all trauma. Mm-hmm. So definitely that's something I work with because we can still – tune into those different sensations and explore how that's been trapped and held in the body, right? Yeah, Yeah, I had someone reach out to me when she was explaining some of the things that she was going through. All I could think is she probably needs something more than I can offer, Mm -hmm. and I'm not really sure what that is because she was talking about um, she had three cesarean sections, Mm -hmm. and she just had some some numbness and lack of feeling, and Mm -hmm. a couple with fibromyalgia, which you and I both know fibro is really is a psychosomatic manifestation of your depression, anxiety, things like that. And it's not to say that it's fake. Right. It is simply saying there is a mind-body connection. Right. And what's going on in your mind is now coming out in the physical form in your body. Mm -hmm. 
And there's all kinds of different medical traumas too, whether mm -hmm. it's um, pregnancy or birth or any kind of surgery, shots, any of those can be um, stored as trauma in our body and have those you know, lasting impacts that show up later. So if you've had a medical procedure, you've experienced trauma because mm -hmm. that that's a, a trauma on our body. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then maybe I'll be referring her out to you <laughs> soon. Because I was like, I, and one thing I was thinking about was a pelvic floor therapist, but that may be a little too like specific. Mm -hmm. I feel like she needs just overall support uh -huh. with letting go of some trauma and some hurt and some pain. So yeah. Yeah. I'll be sending her your way soon. Please do. Please do. Yeah. yeah. I love, again, working with these individuals and spreading that awareness. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Well, and you're helping people get to the point where they can then work with me because exactly. they need to then talk about like their proclivities and their legs, yep. their dislikes and how to talk to their partner about all that stuff. So teamwork, right? right? It's exactly. the journey. And that's, that's something that's so important. I tell people like, Hey, I'm here with you during this part of your journey. And likely there'll be somebody else who helps you along another part of your journey. It is. It's, and, um, again, working in a collaborative approach. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Dorothy wouldn't have gotten to the Emerald City if it weren't for all of her friends. So. Right. <laughs> We're just going to be like that. Yes. Yeah. Well, this has been such an interesting conversation today. Jury, I really appreciate you coming by today and being on my show. Thank you again for having me. And you know, we talked about um, perfectionism and mm -hmm. taking a leap. And for me, this was taking a leap. Being on a podcast or um, having videos, anything like that scares the hell out of me it is so terrifying for me because I don't have control over it right so um thank you for having me and allowing me to take this leap um, absolutely and yes I you've appreciate got a great it. voice for oh, it thank you should be on more podcasts just right here but yeah I really appreciate you being here to help inform people you know my job is just to help people see all the different aspects mm -hmm. of sexual health and I think that your practice and what you do and what others like you do is incredibly important work Thank so, you. Thank, thank you. you so much. And if you have questions, reach out. I'd love to talk to you. How? So can you tell people your social media, mm -hmm. your email, your website, all that stuff? Yes. So my website is just my name, www.jareebaskell.com. It's J-A-R-E-E-B-A-S-G-A-L-L. -L. Um, my email, J-D-B-A-S-G-A-L-L -L at gmail.com. And I just now started an Instagram account. Yay. I got with the time. So right. it's just the imperfect therapist. Uh -huh. I'm just um, trying to embrace that imperfection. And then there's just a period between the words. So again, it's the imperfect therapist. Gotcha. Yeah. Very good. And I will have her information in my show notes too. And of course, you can go to my social media and find links to her information as well. So thank again, you. thanks again. Thanks for listening to Keep Them Coming with Open the Doors Coaching. Please rate, subscribe, and share this podcast. You can find me on pretty much any social media platform, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. But visit my website if you're wanting more information about my coaching services. You can even sign up for my email newsletter. I've got one that's not so safe for work called The Dirty Bird. A lot more adult content on that one. You can support this podcast through listener support on Anchor FM. Or you can go to patreon.com and become one of my patrons. Just look for Open the Doors KC. My theme song is original music by M. Kusa. Thanks for listening.